Welcome to PwC's Next in Health podcast. I'm Ben Isker, leader of PwC's Health Research Institute. And today we have Trina Tadaros with us, who leads our regulatory center. Hi, Trina. Hi, Ben. Great to be here. Well, this is a special podcast today because this will actually be our last one for the calendar year. So we may actually have some things to end on a little bit of a high note, which has been tough throughout this year, but we can try to do that because we're going to be talking today about the vaccine distribution. And I know on the last podcast, we got into a lot of the logistics around the distribution. But today, let's talk about what it's going to mean for providers and payers and employers. So starting to get out to those entities that are a little bit closer to us consumers. And with that, Trina, I'd like to bring you in on what providers are thinking about as they start to begin the vaccine distribution and rollout. Yeah, yeah. So we we have liftoff for the vaccine distribution. And like you said, this is a little bit of good news amid what seemed to be sort of an unending tide of bad news about the pandemic. So before I get started, I just want to offer a little bit of perspective. We've been hearing so much about vaccine hesitancy and this worry that not enough folks will sign up to get the vaccine and that that might be a big problem. And we might see that for sure. But I want to remind folks of 2009 when we had the swine flu pandemic, nothing like this pandemic in terms of severity. And yet people were clamoring for the vaccine in that case. And if you look back at photos and stories from the fall of 2009, you'll find stories about an almost hysterical stampede for the vaccine and huge lines of people waiting to get vaccinated. And so I want to offer that as a little counter narrative to what we've been hearing that we could see folks really eager to get vaccinated and sort of get back to normal and be able to see, say, their parents without having to worry about infecting them or older folks being eager to get vaccinated and then be able to see their children without worry. And so we might see that the benefits that when people do that sort of benefit risk analysis in their own head, we might find more demand for the vaccine than we're hearing about. So just to sort of level set about that, talking about where we're going to start, we're not going to be starting with most Americans with the vaccine distribution and the vaccination campaign. It's really going to start with healthcare personnel and long-term care facility residents. That was decided by the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices back in the beginning of December. And most states are adopting that as their sort of prioritization as well. And so we're going to see, and we are seeing now, sort of the first waves of folks getting vaccinated and lots of media coverage of that. I think that one less appreciated aspect of this is how complicated this will be on a hospital by hospital, provider by provider level. Because we know that there are some side effects to this vaccine, as there are with all vaccines, providers are going to have to think about staggering vaccinations amongst their workforce so that they don't say vaccinate all of the staff in their ICU and then find that the next day everyone is feeling too unwell to come in. So there'll be some logistical complications in doing that. Also, because the supplies of the vaccine are limited in that we cannot vaccinate everybody in healthcare all at once right away, there's going to have to be sub-prioritization within the clinical workforce to decide basically who's going to get vaccinated and who's not going to be vaccinated in this first wave of vaccines. So we have these kinds of complications that providers are thinking about. And like I said, referencing 2009, there is concern about hesitancy amongst even the clinical workforce. 
the American Nurses Association surveyed 13,000 nurses in October, asked them if they would voluntarily get the vaccine. Only a third said that they would voluntarily get the vaccine. Another third said they would not volunteer to get the vaccine. And a final third said that they were unsure. So that indicates quite an upswelling of skepticism or hesitancy amongst nurses who are in this first wave of vaccinations. We found HRI surveyed consumers generally in September, and we found slightly higher levels of willingness to get a vaccine. But our question made a longer timeline. We said, would you be willing to get the vaccine within a year of it being authorized? And two thirds of consumers said they would. But we wonder a little bit about the timing issue, whether people are more willing to get it maybe a little bit further down the road after they see that it's been okay for several months for others who have gotten it first. So that's a question as well. So one thing that we think providers can do in this first wave is develop best practices for the rest of the vaccination campaign that they will be involved in. So that means fine-tuning distribution strategies within their own health system, testing systems to track the vaccine doses that people have received or need to get. One thing to know is that the vaccine that has been authorized is a two-dose and that the ones that we expect to be authorized coming up in a few weeks Also, that's a two-dose vaccine, and you can't mix and match them. So providers are going to have to figure out how to track who got what, and then when they need to be getting that second shot. And then piloting communication about the vaccine, that also is something that they can develop over this next you know, few months to sort of fine-tune that strategy as the vaccines get rolled out to the general public. So with that, I think that one lesser appreciated aspect is that payers have a role to play in all this as well. We've heard a lot about providers, but the payers actually have a lot to do with this as well. And I wonder, Ben, if you can kind of talk a little bit about what commercial plans and Medicare and Medicaid, how they are involved with the vaccine effort. Well, you're absolutely right, Trina. I mean, listen, all health industry issues often eventually come down to the payers, right? Who's going to actually pay for this and how does that work? So it's an excellent question. And I think it's something that consumers really need to think about to avoid confusion and certainly to avoid anyone hesitating to get the vaccine because of cost. So let's walk through what payers are going to be doing around the vaccine. So starting with commercial payers, what they've got to deal with is the what's called the CARES Act, the Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act. That basically says that almost all group and individual plans that are subject to the Affordable Care Act are going to need to cover the coronavirus vaccine at no cost sharing for members. So it's seen as a preventive service and preventive services don't have cost sharing that go with them. So almost all commercial health plans are going to be covering the vaccine with no cost sharing for their members. Let's also move a little bit over to what the government's going to be doing on this, because that's the other big payer for our health system. And there is where we go into the Medicare program. And the Medicare program is going to be covering the vaccine at no cost to the beneficiaries under the Medicare Part B, the Part B portion of Medicare. So no cost for beneficiaries there. And interestingly enough, this is for both those in the Medicare fee-for-service program, otherwise known as kind of standard Medicare, as well as for Medicare Advantage programs. So both of those, you could expect no cost sharing for the consumer in either one of those. 
Going over to the Medicaid and CHIP programs, they're also going to have to cover the vaccine with no cost sharing. And right now, this will apply to all states that this will be a free vaccine for Medicaid and CHIP recipients. Now, even the uninsured, because that always becomes a big question, what happens to those who don't have any insurance at all? Well, there's an actual program called the COVID-19 Claims Reimbursement Program. It's run by the Health Resources and Services Administration, sometimes known as its acronym HRSA, and they're going to be reimbursing providers for the cost of the vaccine and its administration to uninsured individuals. So there again, even if you're uninsured, your provider should be providing that with no cost and they have a way to get reimbursed for it. A couple of other considerations to think about. Providers are not going to be able to balance bill patients for the vaccine. So even if the provider feels like, well, I actually wanted to charge more then the government's going to reimburse me. So I'm going to charge you as the consumer the difference between what the government's going to pay me and what I would like to get paid. They can't do that. So that, again, really helps consumers from bearing the brunt of any of the costs associated with the vaccine itself. So as you can see, from a payer perspective, pretty much all payers with almost all types of plans, including those that don't have a plan at all, those are that are uninsured, are going to be able to get this vaccine at no cost. And there's a great reason for that. It's a preventive measure. And as we've seen from what's happened to our economy and our health system, it's actually some of the most well-spent money we could think about for this public health crisis. So what else should payers be thinking about, though? So that's that's the cost side of it. You know, Trina, you mentioned about how providers need to have a role in communication. The reality is payers need to have a role in communication as well. Now, we do have to keep in mind that payers are not necessarily the first place that consumers go for information. In fact, if we look at our own HRI consumer survey in September, as a reminder, they say they trust their primary care doctor the most, actually closely tied with CDC, I should say, primary care doctors and the CDC as really their top sources for accurate health information. Only about 3% of consumers in our September survey said they trust their health insurer as their top source for this healthcare information. Now, that does not mean that payers don't have a role to play in terms of communication. It's going to really require a layered effect. As you mentioned, Trina, there's a lot of complication about who's eligible to get the vaccine first, second, third, fourth. Where do you get it? Reminding people that there's not going to be a payment barrier for them. So there will be a huge role for payers in this communication. The second part of it is they're also going to have information about who has gotten the injections first time, who needs it for the second time. They keep very accurate records that come through from all of those health services because they need it in order to bill and reimburse. So they're going to have a lot of data around this as well, which gives them the opportunity to reach out directly to consumers, maybe reminding them that it's time to get that second booster shot of the vaccine. If they have noticed that they haven't received one at all and they're eligible for one, they can remind them to do that. And they have a lot of ways. Many of these payers have apps and portals and many different ways of communication, text-based communication, email-based, anything and everything. They can bring the full weight of their operations to help with this communication. 
So lots of opportunity for them to take part in this vaccine deployment. It's not just the providers that will be front and center, but the payers will as well. But Trina, let me pass it actually back to you because there's another group in this that needs to take part in the vaccine distribution and maybe just around communication, maybe an actual distribution somewhere down the line. And that's the employers, U.S. businesses. So Trina, any thoughts on what U.S. employers should be thinking about in terms of vaccine distribution? Yeah, actually, employers have had quite a role, especially in distribution of the flu vaccine. And so we have heard a lot from employers asking, A, what role do they have to play in this case? And B, can they require their employees to be vaccinated? And so that is a actually a quite a complicated question to answer. It's unclear if employers can mandate a vaccine under an emergency use authorization. And that is so far what we have for the SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. So there are various pieces of this. The EEOC makes clear that employers can mandate that employees get a flu vaccine, but they have to allow for exemptions for those with an ADA disability or those who qualify for an exemption due to a religious belief, practice, or observance under Title seven of the Civil Rights Act. And we also have a sort of a position from OSHA that an exception may be required for employees who refuse vaccination because of a reasonable belief that they hold that they have a medical condition that creates a real danger of a serious illness or death if they get vaccinated. So there's also questions about if there is a union, collective bargaining agreements that include sometimes clauses about vaccination as a term of employment. And so all of these pieces have to be taken into consideration as employers start to think about whether they can actually mandate a vaccine for their employees. Traditionally, employers often do not mandate, even if they can, when it comes to, say, the flu vaccine. They instead do things that make it very easy for their employees to get vaccinated. They might set up clinics, you know, do things like that, where they make it very easy, sort of take down barriers to getting vaccinated and make it easy. And that is one path that we might see as the vaccination campaign continues and the general public starts to get access to the SARS-CoV-2 vaccines. That might happen sort of in the spring, likely, and summer. And we hopefully will have not just one vaccine that's been authorized, but maybe two or three or even four. And in that case, we'll have a bigger supply and employers will start to think about, can we start setting up clinics and then get our employees vaccinated? Just like with the payers and the providers, communication is a piece of this. And some businesses are, are beginning to think about communications campaigns and starting to get the word out to employees. We know that employees are starting to clamor for information about when can I get vaccinated. We know consumers are asking this and that providers are hearing from their patients asking when they might be able to be vaccinated. And so, you know, I think that is another thing that employers are going to have to think about. How do we communicate about it? How do we encourage vaccination for those who are hesitant? And how do we make it very easy to get vaccinated once this opens up to the general public? Well, that's right. I mean, I think if there's one theme that hopefully our listeners have heard throughout our journey through the health industry and, and employers, it's, it's going to be about communication. We're really about to enter into a period which is going to be so crucial that we put out good communication and clear communication so that people can get these vaccines without hesitancy and in an efficient manner. And hopefully our podcast has helped to provide some of that clarity throughout the pandemic and throughout some of the 
the policy and election season that's been going on. Trina, once again, thank you so much for joining us and providing a lot of insights today. Thanks, Ben, for having me. And for our listeners, again, if you would like a deeper dive in any of the information we've been talking about, you can find us at pwc.com forward slash HRI. You will not hear us again until the new year. So from all of us at PwC's Health Research Institute, we wish you and your families a safe and festive holiday season and hopefully a brighter new year as we move into 2021. But between now and then, please stay safe and healthy and we look forward to talking to you soon. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.